If conditions looked favorable, raiders might return in the night and take horses and cattle, whatever was possible. More often than not, it appears, though, the drovers only had to give Native Americans a few head of cattle to be left alone. Some Native Americans sought other ways to profit from passing cattle drives. For example, on December 16, 1867, the Cherokee National Council began to exact a 10-cent tax on all cattle passing through their lands. The Creek Nation levied a tax on March 6, 1871. Cattlemen had to pay 27.5 cents for each head of cattle passing through their lands and 25 cents per month for each head of cattle grazing on Creek lands. The cattlemen simply saw these as extra business expenses and since they were at a low enough level, the taxes never threatened to end the drives. If possible, the drovers would try to avoid the tax collectors, though. Now, beginning about the 98th meridian, or just west of it, Texans found a semi-arid region with irregular topography. No major rivers for transporting goods or agricultural products ran through this country, making shipments dangerous and expensive. It is at this point where a lot of people say the cotton industry had reached its natural limits. However, for some other people, it was a natural habitat. The Comanches dominated the Western Plains. They were great mounted warriors, having mastered the territory from the Arkansas River to the Rio Grande and from the mountains of New Mexico to the central Texas Hill Country. After some setbacks, by 1864, the Comanches were strong enough to resume raids. Following attacks by the Texas Rangers and the United States Army in the late 1850s. During the Civil War and Reconstruction era, the Comanches began reclaiming territory they had lost to the settlers. The militia units and ranger companies set up when federal troops departed did not stop Comanche efforts too much. Families living on the frontier gathered together to live in small groups for joint self-defense, or they just left and went east altogether. The raiding Comanches stole thousands of cattle and horses, and many farms burned down. Following the war, the Comanches and Kiowas continued their activities. Wise County's population declined by half in the frontier line. The line of settlement was pushed back at some places up to 100 miles. Governor Throckmorton claimed that between May 1865 and July 1867, Indians killed 162, wounded 24, and captured 43. I've seen other documentation that says a lot of these numbers might be inflated. The Comanches and Kiowas faced little organized resistance until later, 1865, when the United States government began to reestablish its Western defense. Forts Richardson in Jacksboro, Griffin near Allen, Concho in San Angelo, McAvitt near Menard on the upper San Saba River, Clark near Brackettville, Duncan in Eagle Pass, Stockton near modern Fort Stockton, Fort Davis near present-day Fort Davis, and Fort Bliss near El Paso were established. And yet the Native Americans managed to avoid these outposts and continue raiding. In October 1865, Kiowas, Comanches, and Kiowa Apaches signed a treaty agreeing to give up claims to Colorado, Kansas, and New Mexico, and to live on a reservation 
in the southwestern part of Indian Territory and the state plains of Texas. The Kiowas violated the treaty first by raiding in Texas. The government had also failed to keep some of its responsibilities according to the treaty, leading to the need to raid to supply for their people. The combination of the hostility of the southern tribes and the military campaigns in the north against Cheyenne and Sioux caused the government to appoint a federal peace commission. The Comanches, Kiowas, and Kiowa Apaches were called to meet in council on Medicine Lodge Creek in Kansas. With the Medicine Lodge Treaty, the Comanches, Kiowas, and Kiowa Apaches officially confederated and agreed to live on the reservation. About a third of the Comanches refused to sign the treaty, and the Kiowas might not have fully understood the ramifications of the agreement. At the Medicine Lodge Council, Satanta, a Kiowa leader, told the peace commissioners, A long time ago this land belonged to our fathers, but when I go up to the river I see camps of soldiers here on its banks. These soldiers cut down my timber, they kill my buffalo, and when I see that my heart feels like bursting. I feel sorry. The Medicine Lodge Treaty set aside 2,968,893 acres between the Red and Ouachita Rivers in Indian Territory. The Comanches were setting up camps by 1868, and the Kiowas followed suit the next year. Let's take a break here to thank Age of Radio for hosting Texas History Lessons before we move on to the next section here. Now, the Indians found it difficult to settle on the reservations. The United States government did not make preparations for them, and the low supply of game in the area was not enough for them to live on. During the winter of 1867-1868, Native American depredations in Texas continued. They continued facing a losing situation no matter what they did. They could stay on the reservation without enough food, or they could leave the reservation and face the threat of the United States Army. During the summer of 1868, some Cheyennes raided in western Kansas. Infamous General George Armstrong Custer led a campaign against them in the fall and winter of 1868, and on November 27, 1868, Black Kettle, chief of the southern Cheyennes, was camped along the upper Washita River in eastern Indian Territory. Custer attacked the encampment with the United States 7th Cavalry, killing 103 Cheyennes, including Black Kettle. Only 11 of the dead were warriors. 53 women and children were captured. General Sheridan and General Sherman commended Custer for his actions. In 1869, L.D., Dan, and George Taylor, and a gentleman named Monty Harrell, were trailing a thousand steers to Abilene. The first Native Americans encountered were satisfied with gifts of tobacco. Later, however, a band of about 400 Cheyenne held the outfit up while they slaughtered about 25 steers for food and their hides. The drovers were then allowed to continue with the rest of the herd. In 1869, Dudley G. and John W. Snyder lost 140 head to raiders. In 1870, R.R. Savage lost his entire herd, valued at $18,000, to some Cheyenne men. The United States government's policy during the early part of the President Grant's administration was to educate, civilize, and assimilate the Native Americans. And in 1869, Grant set up a Board of Indian Commissioners 
a Quaker named Laurie Tatum became the Fort Sill agent for the Kiowas and Comanches. Two-thirds of the Comanches were not on the reservation, and Tatum still could hardly provide for those remaining. In the fall of 1869, the Kiowas and Comanches harvested only about 4,000 bushels of corn. This had to be distributed among the 5,500 living on the reservation. By the spring of 1870, they were starving. Tatum gave the Indians permission to go hunt buffalo. In the summer of 1870, the Kiowas, Southern Cheyenne, and Comanches met on the North Fork of the Red River. Many of the young men were extremely dissatisfied with reservation life, wanting to return to life on the plains. Several rode south to hunt and raid. In the summer of 1870, Kicking Bird, Lone Wolf, Satank, also known as Sitting Bear, and Satanta led 100 warriors into Texas to raid. They captured a mail coach and had a lengthy confrontation with soldiers from Fort Richardson, Texas. In the spring of 1871, General Grierson sent troops to guard the fords of the Red River. Despite his efforts, many Native Americans slipped across to hunt and raid. Mamonte, the Skywalker, was a highly esteemed medicine man among the Kiowas. He suggested that the Plains tribes begin raiding in Texas to claim their land. In May of 1871, Mamonte, with Satanta, Satank, and Big Tree led a large war party across the Red River into Texas. And on May 17th, the war party held back as a small detachment passed near them. Unknown to them, General Sherman was in the group on his inspection of southwestern outposts. A few hours later, the warriors struck 10 freight wagons, killing seven Teamsters. This incident had wide-ranging results and is known as the Salt Creek Massacre. On March 22nd, Sherman reached Fort Sill and asked Tatum if any of the Kiowa or Comanches had been gone from the reservation. For some reason, when questioned on the matter, Satanta proudly admitted responsibility for the raid. Sherman arrested Satanta, Satank, and Big Tree. On June 8th, the three leaders were loaded into wagons and began the journey to Fort Richardson, where they would stand trial in Jacksboro, Texas. Satank, at 70 years of age, was one of the most highly regarded warriors among the Kiowas. Rather than stand trial, he chose to die. Biting the flesh from his hands while covering his head with a blanket, he removed his handcuffs stabbing a guard and was then cut down by bullets fired by several soldiers. It took an hour for the man to die. His body was thrown in the ditch and the group proceeded to Texas. The trial began on July 5th and after three days, Satanta and Big Tree were sentenced to death. The governor of Texas commuted the sentences to life imprisonment at Huntsville. Several Kiowa warriors began slipping off the reservation to live with the renegade Comanches roaming on the state plains of Texas. In 1871, the Coggins and Parks Cattle Company had 25,000 head of cattle gathered to drive north to Kansas. The company, for some inexplicable reason, was very late in getting the herd started north. In July 1871, a band of Comanches stole about 7,000 of the Coggins and Parks cattle that were gathered in Coleman County. Coggins and Parks requested military aid, and some troops from Fort Concho pursued the raiders. They returned empty-handed. The cattle company estimated the raid cost it $175,000.
Coggins and Parks moved the breeding cattle closer to Fort Concho, hoping for greater protection. However, in December 1871, the Comanches attacked again and stole about 6,000 head of cattle. The Indian raid served as a severe blow to the company. Following the Salt Creek Massacre, the Army initiated very aggressive counterattacks against the Native Americans. Colonel Randall Slidell McKenzie, with the assistance of Benjamin H. Grierson of the All-Black 10th Cavalry, William R. Shafter and John L. Bullis of the All-Black 24th Infantry, led the offensive. In the fall of 1871, McKenzie began search-and-destroy missions against the Comanches in the Texas Panhandle. Quanta Parker was one of the leaders in the area. Other commanders led similar campaigns, burning villages, killing Native American horses, and destroying encampments. By 1873, there was a noticeable decline of Comanche raids. In the fall of 1873, Texas thieves crossed the Red River and stole 200 Kiowa and Comanche ponies. Nine Kiowas and 21 Comanches went south into Texas to retrieve their horses. Rather than cause problems for Satanta and Big Tree, they went to Mexico, stealing about 200 horses and killing some Mexicans. On the way back north, two Texans were killed. The United States troops pursued the man, killing nine. One of the dead was Lone Wolf's son, and another was his nephew. In the spring of 1874, Lone Wolf organized a party to retrieve the bones of his son and nephew. Cattlemen repeatedly requested protection on the trail from Indian depredations. In 1872, Colonel Ronald S. McKenzie was ordered to provide herds with suitable escorts. In 1874, John T. Little, aware of these orders, drove 3,000 head of cattle from San Antonio to McKenzie's headquarters at Fort Griffin. Lytle wanted an escort through Indian Territory. McKenzie could spare no men, however, but did set up a civilian scout to accompany Lytle. Lytle decided to push the herd north despite danger. On this journey to Dodge City, Kansas, John T. Lytle blazed what became known as the Western Trail. During this whole time, there was a devastation occurring out on the plains where hunters were killing buffalo in large numbers, just for the hides, leaving the meat and bones to rot on the plains. Quanta Parker, who we met earlier, wanted a war to save the buffalo. He decided to strike at a buffalo hunter base at Adobe Walls on the Canadian River. Quanta, Satanta, and Lone Wolf, with 700 Comanche, Kiowa, and Arapaho Cheyenne warriors, struck Adobe Walls on June 27, 1874. Despite superior numbers, the attack failed. With this failure, Satanta decided to return to reservation life at Fort Sill. In 1874, many more Kiowas and Comanches decided to hunt for buffalo at the last buffalo range in the Palo Duro Canyon region. They stocked up enough buffalo meat to last until the spring. By mid-1874, with many Comanches and Kiowas acting in ways considered threatening, the government granted permission to strike the Native Americans on the reservations. In 1874, the United States Army moved in a five-pronged attack from the areas of Kansas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Fort Griffin, and Fort Concho, seeking to crush the resistance led by Quanta. A few hundred escaped, but by the summer of 1875, most of the Plains tribes were on reservations. 
Their horses and supplies were almost exhausted, and by 1875, the freedom of the Comanches and Kiowas came to an end. On February 25, 1875, Lone Wolf led his 252 Kiowa followers to surrender at Fort Sill. And on June 24, 1875, Quanah led his Guadi Comanches onto the reservation, ending resistance. Now, as I mentioned, battle was not the only cause for the Plains tribe's defeat. A major factor was the extermination of the buffalo. White men had been killing buffalo for several reasons. Sport, as a diversion for railroad hands and train passengers, and to feed the laborers building the railroad. Beginning about 1871, it became apparent that buffalo pelts and leather were profitable, initiating the organized destruction of the buffalo herds. The hunters would strip the hides off and leave the meat to rot. By the early 1880s, less than 200 buffalo grazed the land. Between 1872 and 1874, 3,700,000 buffalo were slaughtered, according to one source that I found. Out of this total, only about 150,000 were estimated slain by the Plains tribes. The cattlemen were delighted with the turn of events in 1875. For transportation agents like Little, McDaniel, Shriner, and Lott, this meant that their herds had a better chance to reach market intact. In 1875, with the last renegade bands on the reservation, cattlemen began to move into the Texas panhandle. In 1877, Charles Goodnight established a ranch on the head of the Red River along the Palo Duro Canyon. Many cattlemen and cattle driving contractors found this period profitable because of the circumstances. Several made arrangements to supply the northern reservations and the Indian Territory reservations with cattle to feed the native peoples. By 1879, over 40 million pounds of beef were being supplied to the reservations, this required 50 to 60,000 head of cattle and put more money into the pockets of the cattlemen fortunate enough to get the contracts. The settlements of the Plains tribes on reservations did not eliminate all costs, however. Quanta Parker, following his surrender to reservation life, positioned himself near Fort Sill in the Wichita Mountains and demanded cattle as tribute. In return, he allowed the herds to continue on their way. The existence of Native Americans on the Plains of America played a significant role in the cattle driving industry. Their presence added to the danger involved in the enterprise as well as to the cost through taxes, tribute, and theft. Nevertheless, the threat was not great enough to cut off the profitable industry altogether. In fact, several cattlemen made good money by contracting with the government to supply the reservations with beef. And with that, we're going to close out this part of the cattle drives of Texas from 1866 to 1890. Next up, we're going to take a look at the railroads and their importance and how they played a role in ending the cattle drives, the long drive, this period of particular time where so many vast amounts of cattle were transported from Texas to other parts of the nation to feed growing demand. Hope you all have enjoyed this. Thanks for listening. Thanks to all the Patreon supporters. Your contributions help out a lot in preparation for future episodes. Be sure to remember to check out Texas History Lessons Spotlight artist Mondo Salas and his music wherever you listen to good music. Hey, don't forget uh, the original Texas Spotlight artist Jared Flushy 
his music still available to listen to, so you should go listen to that as well. And check out the band he's playing with currently, Giovanni and the Hired Guns. And we're going to end this episode. Like I said, next time up, we're going to be taking a look at the railroads. Thanks again for listening. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Adios. It's the water in the rivers were to dry. Would you take me in the worthy eye? The angels hardly made it in heaven. Would you sing me a lullaby? To run on the road or come from a car There's never been nobody And we keep trying to live But all we find Is hard times And old dogs The day Sometimes I've been bearing the miles without giving in. For you, I'll go until my I don't feel